Welcome to a new podcast series from Review of Myopia Management. In this series, we'll hear from Dr. Judith Stern and Dr. Michael Morton from the Brian Holden Vision Institute in Australia. We'll hear their assessment of the global myopia epidemic. We'll discuss causation, research, and techniques for managing myopia. thoughts as we look through the crystal ball at uh, whether or not the kind of daunting figures of myopia by 2050, by mid-century, uh, whether uh, addressing the problem now and in, in considerable uh, strength uh, would stem the tide of that, uh, that myopia epidemic? Well, we certainly hope so. <laughs> um, I, you know, there is evidence that said, um, I was watching presentations coming out of China about the behaviour change in schools and in settings where children are indoors, you know, from the age of three onwards in, um, for long days, then, you know, that is really an area that can make a big difference. Uh, and then slowing progression, you know, hopefully we're going to see that these kids don't get the same um, retinal complications, don't get them too early, <laughs> uh, yeah. that, that are predicted in the, in the future. There's a lot of research at the moment still going into the cause of myopia, looking at different different reasons, you know, dissecting what it is about the light that is outdoors. You know, can we do anything that we can bring in artificially, you know, to, to produce light indoors um, that will be effective? Um, does it have anything to do with the way that we live, the, our sleep cycles, our wake cycles? Our, um, there's a whole lot of research around the causation that hopefully can help us prevent it. There's a lot of research around different optical and other strategies to slow the progression of myopia. Um, and I think we'll see lots of products start to come on the market um, in the next few years. And, you know, hopefully even creative solutions through apps and um, lifestyle choices with, you know, the wearables or building things into screen time that allow kids to see in the distance, have light levels that are similar to outside for short bursts or whatever it is, um, you know, this, once you know the causation, you can do creative things to try and um, address it, right? <laughs> yeah, certainly. Ca- causation could lead to uh, to uh, new treatment options. Before. Mikey, do you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, even if these raw numbers of, uh, of, of myopia prevalence uh, continue to increase, we really hope that uh, people, uh, someone who is going to be minus five is minus three, you know, someone who is going to be minus four is minus two. Someone who's going to be minus 12 is, you know, is minus 7. They're, all these changes make it a really big difference in terms of that person's future risk of pathology. So even if we are, you know, absolutely do our best to, uh, to prevent onset, to slow onset, even slowing onset by two or three years pushes that, that child a little bit older, a little bit slower progression when they become um, nearsighted. So, so uh, yeah, I think just reducing the risk is, is a really key, key message. Uh, we're not going to be able to stop this train completely, but, but, but slowing it down is, is going to reduce risks for, for patients. And I think one of the most important things that we need to do as a profession is to, to get on board. Um, you know, practitioners do tell us quite often that um, you know, they're talking myopia management to their patients, but then their patients will get a second opinion and they're just like, oh, put a pair of minus twos on and off you go. And, well, that's a lot simpler, isn't it? So they're going to go down that track. So, um, you know, the profession uh, embracing the changes that we now know that are evidence-based about slowing progression of myopia and also, you know, communicating that message out to the public, as I said that uh, earlier about myopia being a progressive disease and just reframing the way 
that we're thinking about it because then people are going to be more proactive about, hopefully, <laughs> about their, their health care and, um, you know. Yes, yeah. It's, I, I guess, a bit of a distance for many parents of young children to sort of think in terms of what kind of pathologies might be associated with the the development of the child's myopia much later in life. Is that something that's a barrier that uh, you think uh, we can get over? I do. I think we can get over that. I mean, as a parent and, um, you know, having done various health treatments for my own children, generally you want to do what's best for your child and give them the best chance that, you know, that they can do out there. And I, Michael's probably sick of hearing my analogy to orthodontics. (laughs) But, you know, lots of children get orthodontics at a very high cost um, for reasons that aren't nearly as evidence-based as slowing myopia progression. Um, And, you know, the orthodontics um, can be done later. It's not something that has to be done. In myopia progression, we only have a small window of time, um, depending on onset. But from their onset, you know, we want to be addressing it straight away. Um, to slow down those kinds of things. And so I think that parents are generally pretty receptive to doing the best thing for their child's health. Um, Yeah, I think we want to be thinking about myopia as people think about high blood pressure these days. You know, the link between blood pressure and pathology is a complicated one as well, but it's just so ingrained now. We we know that we don't want high blood pressure. So we we really want to reframe the conversation in a similar way, that we parents uh, does not want high myopia for their, their child. And that's just an intuitive thing that it's, that it's a health benefit for the child. So, yeah, I think, I think the more optometrists that are practising myopia management, this, this message will just become, we hope, standard practice and, and, uh, and, 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 and just, it's just something that optometrists do. And I think, it's, I think it's a really positive thing for the profession. And optometrists are the, the profession that are placed to handle this. This is a huge issue. We talk about these, these numbers, you know, half of the world's population. <laughs> Optometry is well-placed to handle this, and it's a, it's a specialty that, um, that I think involves treatment options that are exciting for optometrists, that are challenging, and, and that are rewarding as well. Um, because, you know, if, if a, like we said before, if an average of treatment is 50%, you know, some children will just stop in their tracks. That's what people will see clinically. Yeah. Sometimes it won't work, you know, and then we can look at different options. But, but I think uh, for, for optometrists uh, that we've spoken to, it is a really satisfying thing to get involved in. Well, earlier we talked about new, look, uh, new research into sleep. Is there a potential uh, a relationship between sleep deprivation and, and myopia? Is that something that's being looked at in research? I know it's something that's being looked at. I don't know a lot of details about it, <laughs> but it is definitely something that has been, you know, flagged about, um, you know, sleeping less. We're sleeping less, but also we're sleeping later. Like we're going to bed, and teenagers, oh no, sorry, children are going to bed later than than in the past, you know, um, and we were designed to go to bed when it got dark. So <laughs> it's a lot later than that. And uh, so, you know, they're looking into things around that, but I don't know. It's emerging research. We even ma- so. manipulate here. We manipulate what time it gets dark. We just had daylight saving. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which throws off sleep cycles, and kids are going to school in the morning in the darkness, which uh, parents object to. And yeah, uh, it's it's, it's changes. It's these lifestyle changes that uh, it's just a really different way to live. It feels natural because that's the modern lifestyle. That's how we've grown up. But but even you know the lifestyle has changed in the last thirty years. And when we go back a thousand years, ten thousand years, it's a radical change. Now, if you think about the light levels inside, it's, it feels bright with the lights on, you know. Uh, it feels bright with the light coming in the window, but 
you know, we know that, you know, obviously our pupils dilate and, and, and our, our, our retina will, will, will adapt to that light. It, it can, it's a massive difference in, in light levels between inside and outside. It can be a 50-fold, 100-fold difference. It doesn't feel like that, but that's, um, that's a massive difference, and, and I think that's a big part of, of what's driving this epidemic. Yeah, that's interesting. Has there been any speculation or uh, historical exploration of was there myopia in the Middle Ages, in biblical times? What might have been the incidence of myopia? Well, um, just thinking that through. I mean, uh, distance specs of some sort, in some form, have been around for like 700 years. So there's definitely been people short-sighted, you know, as soon as we started 700 years. You know, certainly getting indoors a lot more, perhaps. Um, yeah, so I don't know the early times. Yeah, I mean, but even if we just go back, looking in in China, you know, from people changing from a um, a farming kind of lifestyle to a highly educated lifestyle, prevalences have just gone, you know, through the roof. They've they've gone from, you know, yes, there were people short sighted in the early twentieth century, but you know, the numbers might might have gone from from thirty to to seventy percent. You know, it's a, it's a it's a dramatic change, um, and it, it depends on individual genetic susceptibility. Um, but but also lifestyle, as we've said, is is a massive factor in this too. So um, so yeah, it's a it, it's an incredible kind of story, uh, really, and it's something obviously we have to do something about. I think it's a exciting place to be as optometrists in history. You know, it's a, a really when does such a fundamental change happen in your profession in your field um, where you can really change and make a difference to something that's so core to what we do, rather than an incremental change. You know as we're just learning a little bit more, a little bit more. But to change from the correction of myopia to the management of myopia is a pretty exciting time to be an optometrist. <laughs> yes, I would think. And what role, what special role does the optometrist play? And, of course, the profession varies across the globe, but uh, optometrists in Australia, where you are, for example, are, is that the profession that's going to really make a change with myopia management? Absolutely. And we're seeing in Australia, I mean, just from the uptake of our course, we... Um, We've had over over ten percent of practitioners. I think it is do mm -hmm. the course. We've already had in Australia. We have about four thousand practitioners, and we've already had probably five hundred do the course from Australia and changing. And they all report that they're changing their practice. That's like four thousand optometrists. Yeah. Uh, yes. and ten percent have yeah. taken the Brian yeah. Holden course. A bit over, and management. they're changing the way that they're practicing. And um, yeah, I think being the primary care practitioner, they well placed. They're you know on every street corner, <laughs> uh, and I think they. I think that optometrists have been looking for opportunities to connect with patients, bring them centered back into the practice, because you know lots of people shopping online and all of that stuff now. But uh, managing their child and their child's progression every six months, you build a relationship. You uh, are there. You're able to keep track of what's going on, and I think that that's changing the way that they're practicing in a positive way. Well, wonderful. I want to thank our guests today, Dr. Judith Stern and Dr. Michael Morton from the Brian Holden Institute in Sydney, Australia, for sharing their great insights with the readers of the Review of Myopia Management. Thank you both. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Just, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. And I want to say congratulations for getting the Review of Management of Myopia up and running. It's an exciting publication and Well, time. thank you. We're excited to be addressing this uh, this um, global epidemic. Thank you for listening. Please watch for other podcasts in this series from Review of Myopia Management.